Well, hello. Welcome to our show. Hi, friends. It's Jada. And Amethyst. And we're back again. It's been a while. A long while. <laughs> With a new episode. Um, we're sorry about, you know, kind of going ghost on you guys, but, you know, sometimes you just need to take a little bit of time and reassess, reevaluate. And I think this year is going to be better. We're going to try to focus on research and we got some new equipment, which we're not using today because I forgot it. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean that we can't record this episode. So we decided to go ahead and start out today fresh for the new year, um, even though this will. Oh, yeah, this will be coming out in the new yeah. year. It will be coming out on Sunday. So that will be. Is that the second? Uh, yeah. Yeah. January so. 2nd. So is it the first? No, it's a second. It's a second because first is a Saturday because I yeah. was surprised. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, if you are listening, it is Sunday or after Sunday. So, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hopefully, this next one goes better than this one. <laughs> and the last one and the one before that. Yeah, the last um, two or three years have been chaotic, but hopefully this podcast brings some light into your life, even though we talk about some, <laughs> some very dark stuff. Yeah. Even though it's called Gruesome Gab, we hope it brings some joy to you. <laughs> Um, today we decided that we're going to be discussing the Robbie Kreitz case, but before we get into that case, um, we're going to discuss a little bit of news, um, that happened here locally. There's some more news out there. You guys can search it. I'm sure you could find some very interesting things that happened over the holidays, but Amy's going to be telling us about a Christmas murder. <laughs> okay. So this past Christmas Eve, a woman in Missouri named Brittany Wilson was found Standing outside of a home at 11.05 in Cape Girardeau covered in blood. It was her, the home was her boyfriend's house. And the the blood she was covered in was found to be his as well. Yeah. <laughs> Local news station uh, reported that police found a bloody sword laying in the yard. Once authorities begin to question Wilson, my goodness, I am rusty. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Searching the home, they came across the deceased body of a male in the basement. Police stated that he suffered stab wounds that seemed to be fresh. She allegedly told authorities that she and Harrison Foster, her boyfriend, had taken meth previously in the day. She made a claim that Foster had other entities living inside his body for several months. She claimed stabbing him with the sword was the only way to set him free, according to the police. And yeah. if you can... Please look at this girl's mugshot. She is grinning. Yeah, you can um, find the mugshot on, I believe it's KFVS 12. And if you are subscribed to our newsletter and our email, we send it out in our newsletter. So there's some links and we also included a photo. And the photo is pretty disturbing. Yeah. You can tell that she's either possibly insane or on Has, some sort of drugs yeah. because she is literally smiling ear to ear. She looks like she's very proud of what she did. And she used a sword, which is yeah, so just, 19th century yeah, of her. I was like, I don't know a single person that just has a sword, like, hanging out in their house. Oh, I actually do. Uh, one of my friends, <laughs> um, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. I'm not going to say her name because I don't know if she wants people to know this. But when we were in high school, she carried a sword in her trunk everywhere. <laughs> I guess it was like her self-defense. I don't know. But it was pretty funny. I remember she used it to cut a teddy bear's head off once and it was 
Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess people... I guess some people might have swords. So, if you have a sword, that's pretty cool. But, like, don't stab your boyfriend with it. Yeah. And don't... If you do decide that you want to stab someone with it, maybe don't stand on your lawn covered in blood with a bloody <laughs> sword laying next to you so people become concerned. Unless it's Halloween. People would probably just be like, oh. like oh, that's or maybe just question. don't kill people. Yeah. That would probably right, be the that's better option. Probably the best. I was like, or we could just not kill Maybe somebody. no murder. Yeah, no murder. But I'm just saying, if you happen to find yourself in a situation where you do stab someone with a sword, don't stand on the lawn with it. That's like yeah. killing someone with a sword 101. Unless it's like self-defense or something. Yeah. Or <laughs> that's unless, the only thing you had on hand. <laughs> unless you had a consented duel to the death or something. Right. I find, don't know if there's such agreement. thing. <laughs> I don't think there's such thing. No, I don't either. Maybe. Uh, all right. So we're going to move on to the Robbie Kreitz case with Jada. I have been researching this case for a pretty long time. I actually found out about it um, about a year ago. And the case really disturbed me um, just because not only is it a local case, but it's a case that really just, I had a lot of questions revolving the situation. Those of you that saw our social media posts will know that this is a local case to us. Um, it's a Southern Missouri case. It's actually based out of Eminence, Missouri, which isn't far from here. Hmm. And the river that he was found deceased in is actually a river that I know I visited in the past. I don't know if you have the Jack's Fork River. Oh, I don't think so. I'm not there's, much of a river goer. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's quite a few people that I personally know that spend a lot of time on Jack's Fork. And it's not unheard of for people to drown in the river. So that's why I was so caught in a strange place whenever I looked up this case. Um, so before we get started, I just want to go into some details about who Robbie was um, because, you know, he was a person. He wasn't just a lot of times in these cases, when we talk about people, it's easy to just think of them as like a deceased person. But this is a this was a living, breathing person that had a family and friends and had a home and he was a, a bright light. So uh, Robbie was born on May 15th, 1998. He was 20 years old when he was found deceased in the river. Um, he actually was passed on June 16th, 2018. So not too long ago, coming up on four years right now. So he was described as a pretty typical Southern Missouri guy. He loved to fish and hunt. In fact, it was such a huge passion of his that his sister stated that in the summertime, you would never catch him without a fishing pole. He always had one in hand. His family described him as a very loving person with a huge heart. They said he was an outstanding child and he was very caring as a brother, a son, and an uncle. He was extremely close with his siblings, especially his younger brother, Jacob. Robbie's family seems to miss him dearly and they just want his voice to be heard. They want justice to be properly served in this case um, because they feel like there's a lot of missing pieces that they don't have clarity to and they just want that clarity. So luckily I was able to get into contact with Robbie's sister, Brittany, and I believe she conversed with his mother, Angie, while we um, went over some questions and got some answers to some things in this case. A lot of things have been muddied and there's not a lot of information out there. Whenever you look into Robbie's case, um, you really have to do a lot of deep digging and it has to do with a lot of social media um, because really the only um articles that you can find that are out there from news say that it was a drowning i could only find one article i believe it was by ky3 that had stated that there was rumors surrounding how he had died um, but before we get into what happened 
I want to start by saying that in this case, there's a lot of controversy when it comes to police. And I want to start by saying we do support police officers and first responders. We respect that they have a very difficult job. However, ultimately, we're going to be telling this story from Robbie's family's perspective because they're the victims. They're the ones that have lost someone dearly important to them. And so I have done tons of personal research on this, not only on the case, but also on similar cases to this one in order to have something to compare it to from wrong. And some things in this case are just extremely, extremely difficult to overlook. Let's get into some details about Rob. Um, I think it's important to give you guys a little bit of background about um, some things. When you look into the case, like I said, you really can't find much. I sought out records from the Missouri State Highway Patrol and I was unsuccessful. I don't know if it's because they just don't keep records like on the internet that far back or you know, if maybe they just never necessarily put them out there for the public to see. I know his family has had a lot of difficulty um, receiving those answers themselves. Terrible. Yeah. So something that we know about Robbie is that he did have some disabilities. Um, I received this information directly from his family. So we know it's valid. It's not just like a rumor. I found anything publicly on articles that stated that he had health issues, but his main medical issue that he faced was epilepsy. However, his epilepsy was described by family members as more of like a freezing episode. He didn't necessarily have like the typical grand mal, shaking, falling episodes that we often think about when we think about seizures. Mm -hmm. um, what he had would be scientifically described as a petite mal seizure or an absent seizure, which basically means you kind of just blank out. His mother mentioned in another podcast uh, the True Crime and Chill podcast that doctors had recently found some spots on his brain that he would need to be taking medication. Um, and another thing that we know about Robbie is that he really wanted to be an independent person. Um, but there was kind of a struggle with that because of his disability. And I feel that it's important that we bring up those health issues because it definitely affected the decision of the cause of death in this case. I think it's important that we know that he did have seizures, right. he did have some health issues, and it actually did cause him to have a fear around water um, to the point that his mom actually would sit in the bathroom while he was in the shower, which I can relate to that. I did not have a fear of water as a child. I had a fear of being alone in water. And so like you can ask Amethyst, <laughs> there yeah. was many times up until I was like 13 or 14 where her or mom or someone would have to sit in the bathroom while I was in the shower because I was you know, afraid yeah. to be in there alone. Um, so I don't think that that's uncommon. I'm sure people think that that might be strange in, in ways, but to me, it's definitely not strange because I can relate to that completely. A lot of people, like my mother-in-law said she was scared of water growing up. So, yeah, and it's my, definitely not, it's not uncommon. My husband's grandparents will not get in water. Neither yeah. one of them would, they don't, didn't know, <laughs> didn't know how to swim. And they still, like, I've probably seen his grandma in water once. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, our um, stepmom, she has a, some fears around water. So it's, mm -hmm. it's definitely not uncommon. And that was something that Robbie struggled with, was just having a fear around water. So I just feel like that's important to mention. Yeah. So now that we've discussed, like, kind of the background about Robbie, Let's get into the day that he actually lost his life. So it was a very hot day. It was the middle of June in Southern Missouri. We know. Hot. Yeah, hot, humid. <laughs> humid. You want to be at the river. So his family had actually planned a fishing trip at the Jack's Fork River for Father's Day weekend. Um, and it was pretty early when they arrived. It was around 7 a.m., which isn't untypical. In it's not uncommon. There you go. <laughs> 
it, I don't know language. I'm sorry. It's not uncommon for people to get to the river early, especially if you're wanting to fish. You will, you will find a lot of fishermen there early because yeah. crowds get crazy in the afternoon. Floaters and tourists and mm. all that kind of thing. So I think a lot of people that want to fish will typically get there pretty early. So according to the GoFundMe page his family created, he they all arrived around 7 a.m. And by they all, I mean Robbie, his mother, and his stepdad. Um, and his mother's name is Angie. I'll be referring to her a lot in this case, so um, just so you know who I'm speaking about. Um, like I said, lots of other people had already arrived to the river that day, and they continued to come to the river that day to the point that many people described it as packed. Um, I know Angie said that it was packed out like it normally is. Um, me and Amethyst kind of spent a lot of our youth in Donovan, Missouri, which is on the Current River. Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing you can say about Current River in it the middle of June... Always so full it is crazy packed it's like i don't think a lot of people that don't like are come not. to missouri would realize how many people are on those rivers right well really there's nothing much to do around here besides go to the river go to the or river it's hot so yeah and i mean that's where you want to be it's the only cool place that you can get in that's free mm -hmm. it's fun you have stuff to do with the whole family you you're can probably gonna see your whole friend group while you're there <laughs> everyone in the community yeah you're gonna see everyone so a lot of people um do that and that's no different in eminence a lot of people mm -hmm. spend time there and travel there so let's get back on track sorry i kind of went on a tangent <laughs> there but his family described the river as um kind of low that day the water was low just because of the weather it, we had a drought we typically have droughts in the summer where the water gets very shallow. So once they arrived, they could see that there was actually bass in the water. And Robbie started to get very excited because, you know, he was fishing. That was his passion. He saw all these bass. He was like, heck yeah, like I'm going to catch some awesome fish today. It's going to be a great day. Um, and Angie was like, well, before we get started, how about we go to the store, get some ice for the cooler, get some snacks, get some drinks. Um, but Robbie didn't want to leave. Like I had mentioned earlier, he was an independent person. He wanted to stay and kind of stay on the riverbanks, fish around a little bit. But like I said, his fear around water would have prevented him from actually going into the water. Right. So Angie hesitated on leaving him, but she felt that he knew his limits um, because of his health conditions and his fears. And so he decided to just wait for them to return. Which is also very common. I mean, even yeah. when we were younger, our parents would be like, Stay here. We're going to go to the store. Right. Because in these communities, another thing a lot of people don't realize about rural Missouri is it's very easy to navigate. Mm -hmm. And a lot of businesses put their stores really close to the river. Yeah. They get a lot more business like that. Um, so they decided to head down to the Dollar General and grab some things. So once they arrived, they got their stuff. They went to a gas station nearby and it took them probably less than 30 minutes or so, but it's important to note that before they had left, um, Robbie had not only his fishing poles with him, but he also had his prized possession on him, which was a fishing tackle box. He had received it from his brother as a gift, and like I mentioned earlier, he was super passionate, passionate about fishing, and so this tackle box was the means for him to do that, so of course mm -hmm. it was really important to him. Um, he would have never like abandoned it or left it alone. He always had it on him. And when he was fishing, it was in his hand basically. Right. So they decided, you know, go do their errands. They come back. And when they arrived back to the riverbank, they didn't see Robbie. Um, but they did notice 
that he had left behind the tackle box along with a couple of extra fishing poles. Angie kind of felt like something was wrong in that moment, but she considered that he could have walked up or down the river to scout a different fishing spot. Because that's not uncommon either, especially if the water's low. You're going to try to find like a place that you can, you know, find a good area to, to fish. So she decided she'd wait a while and fish the area where his tackle box was left behind, assuming that he would return back pretty quickly. When he didn't return, um, they started kind of walking around, asking people, have you seen Robbie? You know, describing him. And they didn't really get a clear answer from anyone. Later on, they did have some witnesses that um, saw Robbie, but I'm going to come back to that later. So around 11 a.m., after searching and hoping Robbie would show back up, Angie decided to go ahead and contact the local authorities, um, the Shannon County Sheriff's Department to be exact, to report Robbie is missing. Um, She was given the response that we often hear during these cases is that they have to wait 24 hours to report. Um, She, especially a mom, like a mom knows. For sure. Like as soon as something's wrong, I mean, you said it, she had an inkling that something was wrong. Yeah. Immediately. She had a feeling, especially by noticing that the tackle box was still right. Bank. They know their kids and they're going to know if their kids are going to leave something. Right. Or they're not. And it's pretty common. I'm not like going to call out Shannon County on that. That's a very common response oh, that yeah, police no. departments give is that you, you can... need to wait 24 hours for an adult because they're legally their own person. Um, she described that he had epilepsy and it was like, well, you know, he's an adult. We can't really help you right now. So at that point, Angie and her husband decided to continue to check around the river and wait for his return, hoping that, you know, he possibly ran into someone that he knew. track of time. Yeah. Or, you know. Trying to rationalize. Exactly. So despite her fears, she felt that she couldn't really do anything but continue to search. Around 2 p.m., more people began to come onto the river at that point than they had really seen all day. So they continued to ask some people if they had seen any signs of Robbie thinking that he had been seen, like I said, by someone that he knew or that he was just chatting because in these small communities, like I said, you catch one friendly fellow, you're there for two hours. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can. Yeah. Our dad is the prime (laughs) example of that. If our dad runs into someone that, you know, you might as well sit on a log and get comfortable because they're going to have a chat. (laughs) So at that point, no one had really noticed him. They did um, start calling some family members um, to come search for Robbie. But um, Robbie's siblings were, you know, trying to calm their mom down. They were like, look, mom, it's probably just a misunderstanding. You know, he's around somewhere. Don't worry. Like, it's okay. You're just overreacting because, you know, you're pretty protective of Robbie. So at that point, two men, um, young men, came out of a wooded area nearby. Um, I'm not going to say their last names because they were never officially listed as suspects. But there's a lot of rumors swirling around these two young men. So these two young men, Zach and Ronnie, um, came out of the wooded area. They had gotten their vehicle stuck nearby in a mudded path. And they had actually come up to Angie and asked her and her husband for a drink because they didn't have anything and it was a hot day. And so, of course, Angie offered them a Mountain Dew and a Gatorade. Um, She noticed that Zach was holding an orange fishing pole that looked just like the one Robbie would have had with him. But at the time, it didn't really, like, set in for her Mm -hmm. that that was Robbie's fishing pole. It really was just kind of like a coincidence in her Mm -hmm. mind. They also asked for a hook and a sinker. So, again, they obliged because it's a small community. When someone asks for help, pretty much everyone is willing to help in these type of situations. So, they offered him a drink and a hook and everything. And... 
they had, I believe they had asked them as well if they had noticed Robbie and they said no. So Angie continued to search around. Well, during that time, uh, Angie's younger son, Jacob, the one that was pretty close to Robbie, um, noticed the two men and had asked his mom, you know, he had made the comment, "Are how long have those guys been here? And Angie wasn't sure. Um, she was kind of like, why, you know, why you does know, it matter? You're looking for Robbie. You're not paying attention to the people right. around. Exactly. Her mind was preoccupied. So she wasn't very concerned about what Ronnie and Zach were doing. Right. So, um, he said, well, those people, those two men have a lot of personal issues with Robbie and they don't like or get along with Robbie at all in any sense. So that was concerning to Jacob, but Angie had mentioned that it didn't really sink in for her that Zach and Ronnie could have been involved at that point because they were trying to think the best of things, you know? Right. So during that time, Angie's concern for her missing son was continuously growing. He hadn't been back for anything to drink, eat, to take his medication or anything, which was super unlike him. Um, We all know that if it's 3 p.m. on the river and you don't have something to drink, you're going to need something. Yeah. Even if you're in the water. I mean, mm-hmm. people that float bring coolers and drinks and everything else because it you is so thirsty. hot. And you yeah. will dehydrate really quickly. As well as food. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. sweating. You lose all those calories if you're fishing and casting and, you know, reeling in fish and stuff. You're going to need something to eat. And From what I understand from his family, he was not one to miss a meal. Mm-hmm. I can relate. Okay. <laughs> If someone has a sandwich on the river, <laughs> give like, me some Doritos and let's let's link up, okay? <laughs> so I think Robbie was a lot like that in the sense of, you know, if it's a hot day, he's definitely going to be coming back around. So she was getting concerned. And also the fact that his tackle box was still there was highly concerning to her. So they continued the search all day long. They waited around. They knew that they couldn't report it. But around 9 p.m. when it started getting dark, Angie was highly, highly concerned. Um, she was just done. She was like, I'm not going to continue to look for him by myself. We need the police. Mm-hmm. So she goes to the police station and a police officer comes back and does kind of like a brief check of the area starting to get dark. And the police officer ends up um, heading over to talk to Zach, who at that point was sitting in his truck that was still stuck in the mud. Um, around the time, 1030 p.m., Robbie's brother-in-law and his sister Um, had actually arrived to assist in the search and Robbie's brother-in-law began like going up and down the banks and with a flashlight and wading the water with a flashlight because they were obviously highly, highly concerned at this point. Um, He had noticed that there was a Gatorade bottle and a Mountain Dew can on the bank nearby, which if you remember, she had given Mm -hmm. Zach and Ronnie Mountain Dew and Gatorade. So he was like a little concerned at that. But it didn't really cross his mind until 11.05 p.m. when Robbie's brother-in-law notified his wife, Robbie's sister, to call 911. Um, When Robbie's sister came running back to the bank, Angie knew that something was wrong and that she expected the worst thing possible. She dropped to her knees in hysterics, as any mother would, when she realized that her son-in-law had found her son in the water. Um. Her son-in-law would not allow them to come down to the river because he was like, you can't see, you can't see. Props to him because that is such a traumatizing experience to find someone that you know and love. Mm -hmm. But not only that, but to protect the people that also know and love him from seeing it. um, That's like a really upstanding thing to do because you're bearing the weight of that trauma. And I just can't imagine that. So, you know, the police began showing up because they had called the authorities and, 
um, let them know that they had found Robbie in the water. Um, of course, they had a lot of questions, but when they got there, they pretty much took over. Um, Angie, at this point, was hyperventilating, and her family decided to put her in a truck, get the AC on her, and get her to kind of start calming down because, you know, it's just not it's healthy. Hot. Yeah. You're upset. Yeah, yeah, clearly. And it's just not healthy for someone to be in a, a hot environment like that, mm -hmm. extremely hysterical, not breathing properly. In Missouri's humidity, you're definitely not getting good air quality. Yeah, exactly. So she was sitting in the truck getting some air at that point. Um, she had kind of started to calm down as much as one can in that situation. Mm -hmm. And she had looked at her husband and said, you know, one of us is going to have to go down there and confirm that it's Robbie. Um, we're going to have to identify him. So Angie's husband went down to the river. Um, and when he arrived, the sheriff told him to get the F out of here. It's a crime scene. Um, he tried to explain to the sheriff that he was down there to identify Robbie, but before he could, the sheriff actually slammed him onto the ground for, for, I guess, affecting the crime scene in some way. Okay. But they didn't come out all day. Exactly. So it was very confusing to them also because, um, although it was a crime scene, they never noticed anyone wearing gloves. They never noticed really anyone treating it as a crime scene, which I don't know if that's typical or not considering it's a water related death, but I would consider any crime scene would need gloves oh, yeah. especially There's... if they're handling evidence such as like the Mountain Dew can the Gatorade bottle yeah. and such like that but um they kind of felt like you know it was a strange thing that they were taking it so seriously as a crime scene although not at the same time so this night was obviously a very long and grueling night for Robbie's family um they watched first responders come with an ambulance they watched a hearse come and they were just heartbroken. They also noticed that there was a lot of camera flashing coming from the crime scene. They were also told that the coroner never showed up to the scene to even confirm Robbie's death, which which is like... Red flag number yeah, six. <laughs> not common at all. The coroner should always yeah, they, be... Yeah, nobody can... It has to be a doctor or a coroner. Right. Well, the sheriff's department decided that they would be the ones to confirm that Robbie was dead. They were also told that the first responders did try CPR when they first arrived, but they were unsuccessful because of how long Robbie was in the water. But authorities had spoke with the family asking um, some questions. And they one of the questions that they had asked was Robbie involved in some sort of physical altercation. Uh, the reason why they asked that was because Robbie had a lot of bruising on his face. His eyes were blacked. He had a busted nose and he had some other bruisings on parts of his body. So that's not something you would get. In the water. So. Tumbling around. Right? It wasn't there like. There are injuries. Like I had said earlier, I started looking into other cases in order to compare this one to. And when you drown, especially in a body of water like a river or a lake, you do sustain injuries actually mm -hmm. from your body dragging the ground to, you know, kind of. Mm -hmm. You get injuries such as scratches on your. It's pretty typical for the forehead to be very scratched. The back of the hands. On the top of the feet. The type of injuries that Robbie had sustained were not necessarily typical of a drowning, no. Mm -hmm. So the injuries that he had actually sustained were not necessarily typical of the drownings that I found. And I will link um, a scientific document that I read and it does have some gruesome pictures so I will warn anyone that goes on there. There are pictures of people that have drowned. There's pictures of injuries, people that have died from various things in the water. Also people that have died before they were put in water. Mm -hmm. um, 
And another thing that Robbie had sustained was he actually had dried blood all over his face, which is... So that would have been there before he got put in the water. because That's exactly what his family believes. Because if you had dried blood on and you were in something as like swift as the current of Jack's fork, that the blood would be washed away mm-hmm. if it was fresh. Like if you were bleeding as you went into the water yeah. or it sustained an injury in the water that would cause you to bleed... That the water it already had to be like adhesed to your yeah, skin like really stuck to your skin and also keep in mind it was a super hot day so if you did bleed outside of the water that blood would dry and you know kind of cake up on you mm-hmm. and be stuck to you yeah like because it was so hot so they had asked if he'd been in any sort of fight or physical altercation and the family wasn't sure but they didn't believe that he had been because they hadn't seen him all day so, uh, at this point, it was around 2 to 3 a.m. the next morning. They had been there literally all Almost night 24 long. hours. They had, yeah, they had been there for such a long time. And the family had given the authorities all the information that they knew, especially this about the suspicion revolving around Zach and Ronnie. Um, the ambulance and hearse ended up leaving the scene. And the police actually put Zach and Ronnie in the back of a police car to take them down for questioning. So, at that point, the family was asked you know, where's Robbie? And they were told that Robbie was transported in the hearse on the way to West Plains, Missouri for an investigation, which is odd because yeah. these are different counties. If anyone knows- Very different counties. And which, that's what, an hour drive? From Eminence, I believe so. I'm not 100% sure. I don't know if West Plains is like the largest, you know, like morgue that they could have used local to them. But- um West Plains, Missouri is in Howell County, mm-hmm. and Shannon County is completely separate. So I was surprised to hear that the investigation so was they have going a on. mortician in Shannon County, or do they just well, they not have, have the coroner? One? But I don't know if they have someone that performs the autopsies there. Um, I mm-hmm. I was unable to find any of that information. Like I said, there was very very limited information about this case online. Right, everything that I came across just said there was a drowning. So, at this point, um, it was around 4 a.m., the sheriff had asked Robbie's family to come to the courthouse to start making some official statements about what had transpired that day. First of all, that's really confusing to me because um, they had been awake at this point for over 18 hours. They were probably exhausted in my mind. I'm sure the police wanted to get, like, statements immediately, but Mm -hmm. I feel like they should have been taking statements upon arrival. Um. Just because that doesn't seem very typical to be like, okay, well, we've done the entire physical crime scene. Now we're going to take statements. Like, it seems like it would be like, we're going to have some people working on the crime scene, some people taking statements. Like, yeah. At the same time, instead of waiting so long. But earlier I had mentioned that there were some people who had seen Robbie on the river and I didn't really get into that. So there were some witnesses that told the family that they had actually noticed him entering the woods with two other males that fit the description of Zach and Ronnie. Yeah. So the family gave this information to the authorities, but they were told that Robbie's death was an accident. Um, He had drowned. That's what they were told. The man who had found Robbie, his brother-in-law, ended up asking the sheriff, so how did you get Robbie out of there? And the sheriff responded, I threw him in the back of my truck. You heard me. I threw him in the back of my truck. And his like his sheriff's like pickup truck not in the hearse that was there not in the hearse not in the ambulance in a body bag in the back of his truck almost as if he was like 
proud to have transported Robbie that way. Like he was the one that like, but did Robbie's it. still a human and he deserves Proper care care for his body. Yeah. So during that time when they were giving the statements, their beloved family member was not on the way to West Plains, Missouri. He was in a body bag in the back of a truck. Still? Still. So from the time they were at the courthouse, arrived there around 4 a.m. until 7 a.m. before they were told to go home and wait, he was in the back of the truck left. I don't know if he was unattended. I don't know if they moved him to a different location. But Robbie's biological father ended up calling the West Plains morgue where it was confirmed to him that Robbie had never arrived there until well after 24 hours after the incident. So he was just in the back of a truck. I don't know. And also keep in mind, it's extremely hot in June. And that's also going, yeah, I should say take a turn on your autopsy because he's going to get rigor from sitting there. Right. He's in the heat in yeah. a body bag that's going to accumulate humidity. He well, got out he, of water. And if he had drowned and had been in the water as long as he had already been, he would have been somewhat bloated or had what they typically call like wash mm -hmm. washer's hand wash woman's hands or something yeah. like that i believe that's the term and it's basically like you know when you're in the tub you're a little too long you get yeah, all your wrinkly fingers start to shrivel up and that's pretty typical when mm -hmm. you're in the water for a long time but if he had been in the body bag for a long period of time that would be affected especially mm -hmm. in the heat so they were pretty disturbed by the fact that they did not they as in the um authorities did not use typical protocol for dealing with a deceased person's body his family was honestly outraged by this they felt super disrespected and they had a lot of questions um they were waiting on the autopsy report but to this day almost four years later robbie's family has never received an official autopsy report or any proof that his death was strictly caused by drowning or an epileptic seizure that would have caused his drowning so that is where the number one like like biggest red flag like we have had people pass away in our mm -hmm. family and it took a while for us to receive reports mm -hmm. and autopsies and things like that but eventually we did i mean it was also with that that we dealt with was with how county and it was like pulling teeth though there was a lot of us having to go to the police directly and having to ask for things and i understand police are very busy especially mm -hmm. in the summer like on the river when it comes to that and by the way y'all we're very sorry <laughs> amy's dogs decided that they wanted to come in here and play with squeaky toys <laughs> while we're recording so please we're super professional in this environment <laughs> um, we need to start a studio <laughs> <laughs> we, really do. we need a soundproof studio at this point um but yeah so they did not they also had asked um, for the photos that they know were taken at the crime scene because right. they saw the cameras flashing themselves. Um, Angie does have some photos, but um, from my perspective, they look like they were taken on a phone of a computer screen. Or, so they were like... Yeah, like like maybe she had... I'm not sure if it was her. I should have asked them whenever I talked to them. Um, but it, I don't believe that they were given the photos. I believe they took the photos like when they were looking at the evidence. Okay. Or I believe that... Some of the photos were taken by them when they confirmed that it was Robbie. Mm -hmm. um, when they actually were able to see Robbie and confirm that it was him, it had been like a long period of time after. And at this point, um, Angie said she had made the comment in the True Crime and Chill podcast that the smell that was in the room was something that she would never forget. 
because it he was, was in the back of a truck in the heat in june yes yeah and so she, i think that was something that was really traumatizing for her i mean it would be traumatizing for anyone to see their child deceased on a mm-hmm. table but to see him beaten and to see him in that state and the smell the smell that she did mm-hmm. it really took a toll on her um angie like i said angie does have some of these photos um, and they are actually posted on her GoFundMe page. They are graphic, and I'm going to warn anyone that decides to go to that link that they are of Robbie's mm-hmm. deceased body. So, um, you know, it can be difficult to look at. And before I move on from these photos, I want to mention that, like I said, I've done extensive research about drowning victims and injuries that they can sustain. I looked at lots of graphic photos to use as comparison. And, um, when the episode, whenever we're done recording this, I'll actually show you the photos as well, if you want to, um, to compare to. And to me, Robbie's photos are not similar to that of a drowning victim that has like dragged the bottom of a riverbank. Um, but I'm not a forensic specialist and that's why autopsy reports are so important because professionals need to be the ones to say Mm -hmm. yes or no, this is right. This is not. An autopsy could confirm that he drowned. It could confirm that he had an epileptic seizure. Um, It could show that his lungs were heavy. They were filled with water, sand, other debris, like plant matter. But his family doesn't have that. Um, It could confirm that if he had scratches on the top of his forehead, hands, or the top of his feet, that he had drug on the bottom of the river. Um, And, I mean, there might even be evidence of that still because if he was placed in the water he would still be in the current yeah exactly but um they do know that he had extensive bruising on the back on his back in between his shoulder blades Mm -hmm. um like i said those photos are on the gofundme he definitely had bruising on his forehead his cheeks his eyes were completely blackened he had dried blood on his face a hook in his side Mm -hmm. and a busted nose um so all those things were obviously like such a red flag to his family because even the police had asked was Robbie in a confrontation so I think even at some points they believed yeah they looked at him and said those are not drowning marks right just like when you were listening what they said I said those are not from drowning right and you know like I said you can sustain injury from the water Mm -hmm. but I don't I feel like if that was the case and they honestly believed that those injuries were sustained in the water they wouldn't have asked that they would not have asked yeah Yeah. and the other thing is um according to Brittany which is Robbie's sister that I spoke with Mm -hmm. um she said that the police said that he had had an epileptic seizure on the bottom of the river and that's why he had those bruises and things but like I mentioned he had petite mal seizures. Yeah, he would freeze. He did not thrash. He yeah. would freeze. So if he did fall and freeze into the river, he would it would have been more like a floating type drown situation, you know? And another thing to remember is how packed the river was. So if a young man had fallen into the river and got into a position of drowning, Somebody someone would've would've noticed. would have noticed. Someone would have seen him, even even if it was, you know, early in the morning because there was other fishermen there. And I just, it's really hard for me. And to it was shallow mind. waters. Shallow water. Yeah. So I'm not saying that Robbie couldn't have um, gotten some of his injuries from the bottom of the river mm-hmm. because that is pretty typical of drownings in fresh you mm-hmm. know, bodies of water. Um, but the injuries he had didn't quite match up. To further the point about those witnesses that I spoke about earlier, 
Um, those witnesses were allegedly denied statements because Robbie's family were the ones to actually find him deceased. So the only statements that the authorities were interested in were those of his family. And as for Zach and Ronnie, they ended up being released um, for lack of evidence that they were involved. Um, however, there's a third person involved that I have not mentioned because the family has just now recently received news of this potential third suspect. Um, like I said, I'm going to leave last names out, but this mm -hmm. young man's name is Austin, and he is kind of known in the community to run around with Zach and Ronnie. Um, he's kind of known as a little bit of a troublemaker. Um, rumors swirled around um, the town and community that a video had actually surfaced of this Austin kid bragging about his part in Robbie's death. Um, he allegedly claimed to have beat Robbie himself. And other witnesses claim that Austin was seen at two separate locations the same evening covered in blood. Um, he was eventually arrested, but claimed he was lying in the video in order to look tough or cool. Although many people don't believe that. So he was also released um, for lack of evidence, basically. Mm. And lack of We've witnesses. seen that in a lot of cases, too, where people like to talk big. But as soon as they get handcuffs on, they're like, never mind. Yeah. I've and then can't do they anything about it yeah. yeah and honestly the police in this situation if witnesses were refusing to come forward which from what i understand a lot of witnesses did not want to come forward mm -hmm. because in communities like this it can be hard to speak out against people that you know and people don't want to get involved a lot of things get um, passed off as hearsay or rumor um so another thing about evidence while we're on the topic of evidence is that robbie's family actually went down to the site where Robbie was um, found shortly after that. While they were down there, they found a bloody pair of shorts, a bloody shoe, an empty bleach bottle, and an empty bottle of whiskey. Um, they obviously bagged up all this evidence and took it down to the Sheriff's County or to the Shannon County Sheriff's Department immediately, but they were turned away because the evidence apparently was not valid in Robbie's case. It was basically kind of told that it could have been, been there. From anyone. Yeah, but still. But would it hurt to check the blood on the clothes? I don't think so. I mean, I know in these. Did small... they thoroughly check the scene when they found Robbie, or were they just like it's a drowning? I think they kind of just from Robbie's family's perspective, they decided it was a drowning the moment they got down there, mm -hmm. and they did not change their mind on that, and they still to this day have not. Um, another interesting thing is that a friend of Angie's actually sent her a letter with lots of information about. Robbie's death, including information about the three boys, um, she still has that letter, but I'm assuming the police would not take it as well because it would be considered rumor or hearsay. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of the issue with these small town communities is that a lot of people do talk and act like they know things when they don't. A lot of people do know things and they're not willing to come forward. So it can be really confusing. But for Robbie's mom, she feels as though the authorities are lying to her about more than one thing. So... You know, she continued to call and call and call because that's what any mother would do right. who had a child that died in a mysterious way, also without receiving an autopsy report. Um, she eventually got a hold of the coroner and mm -hmm. was told that Robbie's toxology report um, had came back with no medications in his system, even though she personally gave him his epilepsy medication every day. And they also claimed that Robbie had an obscene amount of methamphetamine and THC in his system. However, Angie takes Robbie to his doctor's appointments 
and he is tested for street drugs monthly due to the fact that he was prescribed controlled substances. Mm -hmm. And in most places in Missouri, if you take a controlled substance or if it's prescribed to you, your urine has to be tested monthly Mm -hmm. um, just for them to be making sure that you're taking your medication properly. And you're not mixing it with with street drugs or other things. And Angie uh, claims that, you know, Robbie's never had a situation like that. She also is was in full control of his um, money because, like I said, he had some disabilities and she would have known if there was money missing right? because she was in control of it. And, of course, she knew that there was nothing out of the ordinary. And so Angie Mm -hmm. claimed that the coroner had told her that he was also never called during the evening of Robbie's death, but the sheriff allegedly claims that he did call, but no one answered. So there's, like, some confusion there about... Why wouldn't the coroner have been called or why would he have not come? One of the two. So right. it's either he was never called or it was he was called and didn't respond. Didn't respond. Which is like which a big both no-no. are not very both big good. No-nos, yeah. yeah. So either way, whether it's <laughs> someone's pointing fingers at the other person, yeah. just like everything that happens in a small town. And if you were exactly and if you're <laughs> nominated into those positions, like you are to take that stuff seriously. If and you're, you're supposed coroner, to be trusted. Yeah, if you're a coroner and someone calls you at 2 a.m., you have to go. Like, that's your position. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's why so many people pay taxes, because they want these things to be taken care of properly. So, although I am highly disturbed by the information that I've received from Angie, um, I received it not directly from Angie, but from her previous interviews and also from Robbie's sister, Brittany, who conversed with, you know, her mom. Um, I do believe that this case was mishandled in a lot of ways. However, I can see why authorities would just assume that it was a drowning because Jack's Fork River is a place where dozens of people drown. And I know how rowdy the crowds can be. I know they're really busy, so I can understand why they would see young boy has epilepsy. It was a drowning. He was Mm -hmm. left alone. But like I said, his family does not honestly believe that he was in the water from 7 a.m., to 11.05 p.m. when he was found. And nobody saw him. And nobody saw him, even though they thoroughly checked the area. So I do believe that that is an assumption that the police could make. Mm -hmm. However, the investigation, I don't think it was completed. No. uh, In the proper way. Um, I just keep going back to him being in the truck. They have tried to arrange peaceful protests as well, um, but people in the community were told that there would be riots at the courthouse, um, and many of the citizens actually showed up armed in preparation to stop any sort of protests. Rumors kind of swirled around the town that most people actually didn't realize it was a peaceful protest revolving around Robbie's death, but rather a Black Lives Matter protest, which um, a lot of people know in southern regions of america is highly controversial Mm -hmm. especially in such a conservative area so it's not out of the realm of possibility that people would show up with With guns guns. trying to quote-unquote protect the courthouse and the sheriff's department from black lives matter riots even though we have not seen any riots down here anywhere uh, maybe like St. Louis, Louis, you know, some I think larger that's about areas. As close as it got to us. Yeah. But there has not been any sort of riots. And I know that Robbie's mom did feel a lot of, you know, guilt around the fact that they weren't able to do those peaceful protests because they just kind of feel like they're at a loss. Um, it's been nearly four years. They still have no closure. They still have no autopsy report. And of course, they no longer have Robbie. 
Um, you can just hear in Angie's voice that the loss of her son has just deeply changed her life. And the entire family just wants to hear, wants someone to hear this story and assist them in finding, you know, the truth behind Robbie's death. Because if they could get the truth that Robbie did drown, I'm sure that they would accept that if they had proof of it. But yeah. at this point, they're just kind of left empty handed. And they're looking at the investigation that wasn't done properly yeah and especially from their perspective from what they experienced firsthand they feel like things were not handled correctly and so the case is very conflicting because there are clearly big issues that anyone can recognize from the investigation you know we're supposed to be able to rely on authorities to give us the answers that we ask and i'm sure that the family members of these officers you know they take a lot of pride in the sacrifices that their families make to be officers Um, but a lot of the community feels that they have been failed when it comes to Robbie's death. You can see comments from members of the small town community all over Facebook and other social platforms regarding the lack of attention to Robbie's case. Mm -hmm. Um, personally, I like teared up and cried listening to the true crime and chills episode on this because I was not aware of a lot of the information that was in it. And I just can't imagine being in the position of his family knowing that they were only gone for such a brief period of time and knowing that Angie had the reservations of leaving Robbie there to begin with Mm -hmm. and then coming back knowing that the last time she saw her son was that morning and that she would never see him again. Um, I want to offer my condolences to all of Robbie's family. Um, He was clearly taken way too soon, Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be, whether he truthfully did drown or... Mm -hmm whether something violent happened to him and he was placed in that water. Those are both extremely difficult things to accept. And I hope that us speaking about this case, we can offer some sort of assistance in spreading the word on a closed case that seems to be lacking in evidence to even be closed. Right. Um, Like I said earlier, Robbie was a shining light to his family and they desperately loved him. They still do. I'm sure any mother would go to the links that Angie has to try to get answers about the death of their son. Um, And it breaks my heart, honestly, because in small town communities like this, when someone passes away, um, there are a lot of rumors, there's a lot of hearsay, there's a lot of things that go unanswered if you don't get that closure from the police. But in Eminence, his family has a memorial area set up for Robbie. They've left plenty of tokens of their love and little pieces of him that they believe honor him. And it shows that no matter what happens in this case, whether they ever get the answers that they're looking for or not, he's always going to be loved and he's always going to be deeply missed. I didn't know near as much about those cases. I just was kind of under the assumption that it was drowning. I know. And honestly, when I first, I actually first heard about this case uh, from a post on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I don't recall exactly who it was. And even if I did, I probably wouldn't mention their name, but they had said like, hey, if anyone has any information regarding Robbie's case, please contact me or Angie or someone, you know, his sisters or someone and let us have that information, contact the police. And that was the first post that I had seen. And I was like, well, I heard about a drowning. Mm-hmm. Which... And I remember the protests, um, not the protests, but I remember the people coming to the courthouse with guns to stop a protest. But I had no idea it was about um, Robbie's case right. and the way it was handled. Um, like I said, most people thought it was having to do with Black Lives Matter, which is really a shame because 
peaceful protest should be allowed no matter what mm -hmm. it's about. Um, and that go, I, I'm not going to put my political beliefs into anything. Um, but I do believe that peaceful protests are something that have changed a lot of things going on mm -hmm. strike from, you know, companies or businesses that are not treating their employees properly or, you know, there's a lot of things that peaceful protests can accomplish. And it saddens me that Angie feels like they're not able to do that without meeting a lot of backlash from their community because they're scared of violence, basically. Right. And that's just really heartbreaking to me. But um, Angie and Robbie's family, if you guys are listening to, listening to this again, I just want to offer my prayers and everything to you because I can tell that this has really changed your, your life. And I know that this is not easy to deal with. We hope that by sharing this case mm -hmm. that someone out there that maybe has information will feel more comfortable coming forward or um, I don't know, just that something will come from this. Because at this point, I, I asked Brittany, is there something that we can do to help get the community involved? Mm -hmm. And she she's not really sure. They're not they're not really sure. They're at, at a standstill. They are. They have contacted the FBI. They've contacted the state. Um, they've contacted anyone they know, signed petitions. They've done so many things and it's all kind of fallen short. And I don't know if that's because so many people haven't heard about this case due to media or lack of media attention, or if it's just because of people kind of refusing to, um, you know, kind of take a secondary look at the right. authorities. Which so I think in this case... Definitely they definitely be. need to reevaluate some things, yeah. Yeah. And with it being four years later, I don't even know that they have the evidence still. I mean, I'm not sure. And with it being classified as closed, they probably don't. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure, but I know um, Robbie's family has a lot of questions, including like what happened to the autopsy mm -hmm. report, what happened to the photo evidence, what happened to the video of Austin, what happened to so many things that yeah. were literal evidence my hope is that the family just gets some kind of closure because really they're the only people that matter in this case yeah i agree they're the victims here and i know that it can be difficult um whenever we start talking about things that um have to do with police mm -hmm. not necessarily following protocol the way that they should especially in this area yeah. especially it is so like prominent around here that if you speak out against authorities that your community will turn their back on you uh, because everyone around here is very, very pro-police. Pro. Mm -hmm. Not saying we're not pro-police. Right. If I was in trouble or danger, I would obviously call the police um, because that's who you're supposed to rely on. But, but in we're these also situations, trusting that those police are doing their job properly. Exactly. And in these situations, um, justice needs to be served. Mm -hmm. um, if someone got away with beating Robbie and, and throwing him hiding in the his river. body in the river in hopes that people would think he drowned. They've gotten away with a crime yeah. and they shouldn't be able to live with themselves and live a free life when Robbie no longer has a life. So I'm not accusing Zach, Ronnie and Austin of anything because they've obviously been released for lack of evidence, but that's again where the mm -hmm. autopsy and all these pieces of evidence would solve that. They could say, mm -hmm whether there's questions revolving around his death or not. But at this time, Robbie's death is still ruled a drowning and there's still no evidence. So um, that's that's pretty much the case. Um, I don't like the way it ended. It's really deeply saddening to me. Mm -hmm. But sometimes like these things get overlooked and that's why I wanted to discuss this case because not only is it a local case, but it's a case that has been overlooked. I mean, mm -hmm. you can go around and ask people like, 
Do you know who Robbie Kreitz was? Majority of people probably don't unless they mm-hmm. personally know him or they come from Eminence, Missouri, and they know this case firsthand. Right. And that's what's so sad to me because a lot of the cases that we talk about are so infamous that mm-hmm. you can mention someone's name and they instantly know, Right. oh, that's the person that went missing or, oh, that's the person that was murdered or, oh, mm-hmm. that's the person that had a mysterious death. And unfortunately, that is not the case with Robbie. Right. And it should be. Yeah, it should be. It should be with every case, but it's hard. It is hard work for police to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, I think things are at a standstill and Robbie's family just wants some sort of closure. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that this can offer that to them. Um, I do, before we end the episode, I do want to say thank you guys to our listeners. We appreciate you guys so much. And please check out our website. I have all that stuff linked Um on our Facebook page, if you don't know how to get to our website, you can easily go to Facebook mm-hmm. and search up Gruesome Gab Podcast and find us, and you will find our website there. Um, we're working on getting our own domain and things mm-hmm. like that, so that way it's a little bit easier to navigate to us. But um, if you have, if you do subscribe to us, our email list, you get, um, you'll get some, uh, you know, different types of emails from us, some newsletters. You'll receive um, news, true true crime news. Um, things that go on not only nationally but locally as well and you can also request cases Mm -hmm. Um, one case that we're going to be doing pretty soon is actually one that one of our listen listeners requested that listener just so happens to be our Our cousin (laughs) but she um, is a loyal listener and if you're listening to this we're not going to say her name because we don't know if you want to be named but we are taking your (laughs) advice and um, the case that you offered us is super intriguing and we will be discussing it so Um, next though amethyst is going to be telling us about About the golden state killer and i think it may have to be a two-parter um he is a pretty big case and it's pretty hefty so we might have to split it up yeah um but i'm pretty excited because this this is the case that kind of introduced me into true crime Mm -hmm. because i was listening to uh criminology covering this podcast when they found who it was and I yeah. remember I was sitting in college, my class, get the notification on my phone. I stepped out of class, call mom. I'm like, mom, they found the Golden State Killer. She was like, what? <laughs> I was like, who? The Golden State Killer. They know who it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I remember you being like so enthused about the fact that he was getting arrested. And I had like heard of mm-hmm. the Golden State Killer. Kind of like you hear about like, you know, a lot of infamous killers like Ted Bundy. Like, you know their names, but mm-hmm. you don't necessarily know. What they what did, yeah, yeah. So I'm super excited about diving into that case because I did not listen to the criminology um, podcast series about that, and um, I know you were very interested in that. So mm. I'm looking forward to hearing your perspective. <laughs> it's gonna be a long one, so we'll be sitting here for a while. <laughs> it's okay, you know, we have we've got time. We got nothing but time, right? Well, you know, we'll make <laughs> some time. of the time. All right. Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I know it was kind of lengthy, but hopefully you're still listening. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. See ya. Music by Shane Ivers at silvermansounds.com.